podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to the AI Premier League Preview Pod. Just a few days out from the big one as Liverpool travel to a revitalised Old Trafford to take on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United. I'm still getting, still getting used to saying that. So traditionally the biggest game of the season, Sunday's match could obviously now prove to be even more significant in terms of the impact on the title race. So joining me on the pod to help me discuss everything around this game this week, I'm delighted to welcome on AI contributor Tadawa Chanakira and journalist and broadcaster Carl Anker. Welcome, guys. Hello. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Yeah, great to speak with you both. I mean, it's it's a game. I mean, let's face it. Uh, it's a game that, yeah, the previous uh, fixture, I mean, it was a, a beleaguered Man United side that arrived at Anfield, more or less, a, a joyless jo- uh, Jose Mourinho right at the end of his spell. I mean, I mean, we, we weren't to know, of course, um, uh, since his departure, there's been the arrival of you know, the former super sub in, in, in Solskjaer and spirits seem to be raised uh, both on and off the pitch, uh, downtrodden players rediscovering how to play football or enjoy it at least. Um, and the same goes for, for the fan base as well. So, um, Carl, great to have you on. I mean, obviously me, me and you chat about United the, the majority of the season. We chat about Liverpool the majority of the season as well. Um, we had Musa on for the, for the pod, um, for the previous game and, um, couldn't have cut a more sort of downtrodden, uh, figure at the state of the club. Um, I guess there's no other place to start then. I mean, give us your thoughts. Uh, I know a few already on um, just how Jose Mourinho's tenure at United played out and uh, how this season unraveled even before a ball was kicked. Um, it was it was a unhappy marriage always. Um, I think a lot is made of uh, very little is made of how Manchester United effectively panicked once uh, Manchester City managed to secure Pep Guardiola. So Pep Guardiola goes to Manchester City. Manchester United are more or less floundering on the Van Hal era. They need to do something to reestablish themselves at football's top table. Uh, and you could see the thinking Edward Woodward, um, who's the manager who can beat Pep Guardiola, especially when Jurgen Klopp is at Liverpool, get Mr. Mourinho. Um, while there were doubts over whether or not he'd be a suitable fix for Manchester United, the belief was basically he'd he'd have enough in a tank and it was enough of a winner um, that it'd be worth it. And then we saw over one and a half seasons, really. So his first season finished sixth place. His second season, yeah, they finished United finished second last season, but that was largely ridden off the back of David de Gea having a transcendent goalkeeping year. Um, and then I think the writing was on the wall the moment the transfer window was nearing its close when Mourinho was making those comments about on preseason about how he's learnt nothing over preseason, how he felt he was understaffed and and his trip to North America was very much a waste. It very much looked as if this was going to be the third season of Mourinho with where he gets the buzz cut. He starts uh criticizing star players and, and, and talking about paranoia and criticizing referees. And lo and behold it came to pass. He ostracized Paul Pogba he was saying many interesting things about Anthony Martial, Luke Shaw, and eventually Marcus Rashford. Uh, and the team just spluttered. Uh, the, the, the Liverpool 3-1 was bad. Uh, the Manchester City 3-1 was 
ridiculous. Uh, and it, it showed the, the golfing quality between Manchester United under Mr. Mourinho and, and what is now required from the two top teams in the country. Two teams who, you know, regardless of how the rest of the season ends, will probably go down as being two of the best sides, two of the top 20 sides in Premier League history. Um, yeah. I'm glad he's gone. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I remember you mentioning the buzz cut. I remember you mentioning the false dawns. Um, that game against Southampton sort of sticks in the mind in terms of you being so close to getting rid of Mourinho and then United had the audacity to come back and win. Um, in a manner which I guess you've seen, you've seen far more of that lately, or not necessarily the comeback wins, but more of that spirit, more of that fight. Um, I mean, I think whenever Mourinho has this sort of phase at a club and things start to go badly and um, he's criticizing players, you know, becoming increasingly negative, it's, it's very much us against their mentality. Um, it's always interesting to see how, how people react, you know, whether there was you know, members of you know, the fan base who you thought were completely on Mourinho's side. You, know, you see the same sort of media pundits come out and talk about how it's the players' fault or it's the Glazers' fault, you know, it's Edward Wood's fault. Um, but in terms of how it went wrong this time, I mean, uh, how how do you like apportion the blame? Do you, do you look at it and go, well, you knew what you were buying with Mourinho when you brought him in, you should just back him? Or do you think that, I mean, from what you've seen with Solskjaer, I guess it's probably damning Mourinho even more in terms of literally just a different approach in terms of imagination and um, man management could have reaped better rewards. Yeah, so I, I was very much during the spell in the lead up to the last Liverpool game. I was very much of the opinion that this season was never going to work out because with Mourinho, you either back him or you sack him. Um, and while I was very firmly, you should sack Mourinho. I, I write Manchester United columns for the Athletic every week, and and near the end of my t- near the end of his tenure, I was being told by my editors stop ending every single article with fire Mourinho. Um, <laughs> Uh, it, 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 he, Mourinho did raise some, this is, this is Mourinho's, I want to say trick or his hook. This is how he gets Real Madrid fans to think I could see this as rubbish or Chelsea fans to start criticizing Diego Costa or Cesc Fabregas and, and Hazard. Mourinho is very good at being correct in the wrong way. So when he was talking about the lack of investment in his squad, and how he cannot, they, Manchester United can no longer financially complete with the money of Manchester City. He was correct. However, that was no excuse for the severe mismanagement of that squad. When you had Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher say after the Liverpool game, after the Liverpool 3 1 defeat, that Manchester United lacked a midfielder capable of passing the ball 10 yards, you felt that that was that the Mourinho trick had gone too far. To say that. Ander Herrera, Paul Pogba, Nemanja Matic, uh, Fred were players incapable of passing 10 yards. You can pass 10 yards. I can pass 10 yards. To, to say what players who went to the World Cup that summer were incapable of passing 10 yards, well, is that true? No. That's that's what Mourinho has fed you. Um, and, and the fact that United have immediately improved under 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 Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has has made a mockery of much of Mourinho's complaints about his squad and the personnel he has. Mourinho was right to maybe thirty percent. He was also at least thirty five percent wrong with what was going on at Manchester United. So mm. that's no, that. I'm glad he's gone. 
<laughs> yeah, I think I, I, I think it's obvious. I mean, I think probably the only people who are sad about it are those at the Lowry. It seems in terms of him just occupying a permanent <laughs> hotel room, hotel suite. Um, you wonder what the buffet breakfast was like, the options that were chosen. Uh, he, he just seemed. I remember speaking to Musa about it as well. Uh, Musa Okwonga earlier in the season, and just in terms of a man who just seemed to be completely unable or in- incapable of enjoying football anymore. Um, it seemed to be far more. Uh, interested in all that stuff that you mentioned there, getting involved in you know, media tantrums, you know, sticking three fingers up at journalists in press conferences, you know, calling out players, um, chucking water bottles at sort of vis- visiting fans at Old Trafford, things like that. It was, it was, it was a very weird sort of state of affairs towards the end. But you're right; he does always seem to make a few people you know, turn against them, you know, their own players, turn against their own club at times, and, and those comments from Neville really were sort of ridiculous and I, I, I think you can see that even more now so um i just want to ask you just before we move on from Mourinho because i know there's plenty more to talk about but for you what was what was the what was the low point for you then because I, I know you were you've been dissatisfied for a long long time with him was it the football heritage moment yes yes it was i i was very much checked out from uh february um 2017 uh, when Mourinho made the point that it's okay that Manchester United got knocked out of the last 16 of the Champions League because he had knocked them out of the last 16 of the Champions League when he was in charge of Real Madrid, which was a tr- it was a really clarifying moment of this manager does not care about my football club. He only cares about his own achievements. Um, and that was also during, again, Paul Pogba was benched for the first um, leg of that tie while he played Scott McTominay, and I was very much... Okay, um, Scott McTominay, who, who remains a, a true curate's egg, neither wholly good nor, nor neither wholly bad when it comes to playing football, but just seemed to be a very odd exercise in trying to cajole Paul Pogba into doing something else. Manager's player um, of the season, of course. Yes, of course. He invented <laughs> a, a brand new category. It was a very, very bizarre. But yes, I, I I was very much not looking forward to this season. I, I I thought United would finish fourth, if only due to their checkbook. But it just looked far worse. It, by by the end of it, it very much looked as if Manchester United were on track to finishing seventh and have a Moisean style season. Uh, and I am I am thankful that Edward would decide to take the thirty million pound hit. And, and remove him now rather than when fourth place is uh, financially, um, mathematically impossible. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I, th- I think you all mentioned it as sort of the big Christmas present for for United fans, early Christmas present. Um, of course, we weren't entirely sure what we were doing. I- I'm sure it wasn't just because of the 3-1 defeat at Anfield. Um, plenty of Liverpool fans wanted him to stay on, of course. But since... Uh, since Solskjaer has been appointed, of course, I think loads of people wondering how he would do. Um, obviously, uh, you know, Malmo, the, the, the success he's had there, but then the um, sort of the the, the poor, um, sort of the, the way in which he struggled at Cardiff, which was, of course, wasn't a terrifically well-run club at the best of times. And you wondered, you know, coming into United, which of course is another club where you know, accusations of you know, how well-run is it? Um, is it the, the ideal place for a manager to come in? But 11 games undefeated, you know, following his appointment, won, won nine out of his first 10 games in charge, of course. Uh, the, the first United manager to win man, a manager of the month since Alex Ferguson in October 2012, which I didn't know 
uh, prior to today, <laughs> actually, actually, actually figuring that out, which really just illustrates, I think, um, how much of a, of a mixed bag it's been for United since, since those days, of course, um, th- those, uh, those heady heights. But in your opinion, what, what's been the magic formula for, for Solskjaer? Or do you think it was a case of, given who he is, he's a former player, former sort of, um, fan favorite, this surge was always going to be expected given the fact that he's, uh, you know, friendly with his players, uh, you know, tells Pogba, who's a World Cup winner, that he quite likes him and thinks he's a good player. Uh, you know, just that change in man management. I mean, was this surge to be expected? To an extent. So the the way I, I described it immediately after Mourinho's sacking was that um, United were going to go through a, a similar uptick to Chelsea's season in uh, 2015-16. So uh, Mourinho is removed after his th- third season. They bring uh, Chelsea bring in Gus Hiddink. Gus Hiddink essentially encourages and Hazard to play football again. Uncle and Gus, Chelsea yeah, went love it. <laughs> and uh, Chelsea that Chelsea immediately after Mourinho is fired go 15 games unbeaten. Um, and I thought United would get maybe five or six, perhaps seven games undefeated, as you, you know he he reestablishes Paul Pogba to the side, and and they make uh, light work of uh, serviceable opposition in Cardiff and Huddersfield and whatnot. I did not expect the victory over Tottenham Hotspur. I think that was the first real uh, surprising moment when he opted to use Jesse Lingard as a false nine of sorts. And play a more counter-attacking game. Uh, and again, he when he played Romelu Lukaku on the right-hand side of the attack uh, against Arsenal in the FA Cup, I did not expect that. Nor did I expect Manchester United to beat Chelsea or or be in fourth place. Um, it, uh, it's quite funny that United were, were linked to Zinedine Zidane for so long. Zidane, who is... Yes, he's a three-time Champions League winner, but by most accounts is regarded as a tactics-like, tactics-light clap-your-hands manager who more or less makes small tweaks to a, to a general 4-3-3 plan. Um, and they mentioned like was said to be chasing Zinin Zidane, and I've now put Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in while they can go and get Zinin Zidane. But what Mr. Solskjaer seems to be doing is exactly the thing that Zidane seems to be good at, being quite tactics-light being very, very flexible and managing quite a lot of distinct personalities in the dressing room. Um, he's doing a good job. I, I'm, I still have my reservations about making the permanent manager, but those reservations are, are getting smaller week by week. I think he's, he's doing a fantastic job. He's overachieving. Um, by most um, statistical models, Manchester United were between 15, 10 and 15% likely to finish this season in Champions League spots and it is now late February and they're already in fourth place. This it it, it is a a towering overachievement with that uh Mr. Solskjaer has pulled off. Yeah, and I I think one thing I've been very interested in it as well is um I mean I, I think most most clubs have some sort of you know, the Liverpool way, the United way, et cetera, et cetera, that people sort of hark on about. And it's very hard to sort of define in terms of what it actually um, means, for example. But um, it, it, you you suggest that Solskjaer is the sort of guy who sort of gets it in terms of not understanding what United's about, of course, from, from his time at the club during the success um, under Ferguson. I'm just interested in what you think about how he's sort of carried himself around the club in terms of the, the, the other side of the work that he's done. Because, 
Um, it does seem to be very cookie cutter, Ferguson. You, 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 you get the picture that he's there somewhere in the background, don't you? In terms of giving advice from time to time, uh, clearly has huge respect for Sir Alex Ferguson, of course. Um, yeah, what, what have you made about how he's carried himself around the club? Cause I think that as well is a huge, um, way in which he could, you know, quickly contrasted himself against, um, you know, the likes of Mourinho who, it appeared as though he'd probably ignore staff in the corridor, not you know, not open the door for dinner ladies or, or whatever it might be. Um, Solskjaer appears to be uh, fully embracing the opportunity. Absolutely. It's interesting you comment about uh, it, it seems as if Ferguson is behind the scenes. Credit must be given to the fact that um, Solskjaer has recruited Mike Feeland, Alex Ferguson's last assistant manager, to be his assistant manager right now. Uh, and what's very interesting is that United are pressing. Um, or pressing more than they previously have done, which I would put more down to Mike Phelan's influence than Oigon Solskjaer's clap your hands methodology. Phelan was in, in implementing some sort of pressing system in his final couple of years at Manchester United before he was uh, removed by David Moyes. Uh, there, there is talk that Alex Ferguson is available in some sort of consultancy role. Um, Solskjaer had to make a press statement where he said that uh, Ferguson is not picking the team, but he is available if he wants to run something past him, which I think he Ferguson is less picking the team, but perhaps more going, maybe put Paul Pogba at front post when you're defending corners, if you wish to interpret it like that. And, and yes, he, he has, there's very much an anti Mourinho stance in a lot of his press conferences. He, he very, he very much doesn't, criticized any players that have done poorly. I think what, what really struck out was the, after the Reading game in the FA Cup um, where United played quite poorly um, using a relative second string. Solskjaer said um, it's quite hard. Solskjaer admitted he made a mistake. He said it's quite hard to judge a player when you're playing in a, in a second string put together football side. Uh, maybe next time I'll only make two or three changes rather than four or five. You contrast that to Mourinho's comments when he played a second string side, which was where he made comments along the lines of, oh, everyone tells me to play Martial, or everyone tells me to play um, Luke Shaw, and I played them and I've done nothing. Now you understand. It, 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 Solskjaer should put to bed the argument that football players are robots. I think, and I really hope that this Premier League season with... That will be won by either Jurgen Klopp or Pep Guardiola, and and the new half season standout is Gunnar Solskjaer. All three of these men are known for their approachable, personable natures. They're all known for the, for the fact that they want to talk to their football players. They want to explain what's going on. They're very very open and, and communicative as to why players are dropped, as to why players will be sub- substituted off. Um, whereas Mourinho, for the most part, was not. Wayne Rooney made very interesting comments on BT Sport after a game on Boxing Day, I believe, where he said Mourinho would drop someone and you just wouldn't know why. So it, it fell to Rooney and Michael Carrick to explain to United youngsters why they weren't playing on a Saturday. Um, football players aren't robots. You need to talk to them nicely. And I think this is a very this will be a very interesting game on Sunday because it's two managers who are good at that and it'll be see- and then it'll be interesting to see how that intersects on the pitch yeah very much looking forward to it in terms of it i mean it, it's been too easy for 
in the past, especially games under Mourinho, wherever he's managing, really, for it to be a game where he manages to kill the game. I remember you actually speaking to me as well um, a couple of seasons back now, again, where you were just talking about how you couldn't, you couldn't get excited about the football because you knew all the big games that you'd look forward to. Uh, Jose would ruin for you because <laughs> you just re- you try and ruin the match as a way of getting a result um, rather than you know trying to back his players and going oh look if we lose if we lose four two if we lose three two here um, you know, so be it at least we 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 we've gone out and tried to play our our game that belief um, in his players and in the system that he was, he was trying to employ seemed to evaporate really um, and I think, I think you, you're right on Solskjaer as well it's it's the modern um, approach that seems to work with players, even when you you think back to sort of, uh, to, I guess not a lesser extent, but Southgate in the in 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 the uh, in the World Cup as well, being a very different uh, type of manager to, to to what you usually associate with what you should appoint as England manager, and how he managed to get the players to to work together there as well. Okay, then. So you mentioned the the, the statistical model um, around. Uh, your, your chances of getting into Champions League, but um, you, there you are now in fourth place as well. I mean, w- w- how has that shifted fans' expectations then in terms of the rest of the season? Is it? Yeah, it seemed improbable at one stage. Um, is, is that now the goal just to secure that, or if 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 things did fall away now, for example, um, would there be? I mean, would 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 fans forgive Solskjaer, or would they understand it? I think. They'll understand it. I think fourth is the. the it, it's it's quite funny. Manchester fans spent a very long time laughing at Arsene Wenger saying fourth place is like a trophy. Uh, but I very <laughs> much believe Manchester United would 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 celebrate fourth place if it like it was a trophy if they if they got to that point. Um, I think the FA Cup now has got particularly interesting. Solskjaer has, has made some really interesting comments. Um, after the Chelsea game, where he said Wolves away from home, it's Premier League opposition, but we've got great away support, so we're going to give it our all. Um, leads me to believe that the FA Cup could be a genuine possibility for United, but very much, very much fourth place and the Champions League, Champions League football, and the money that comes with Champions League football will be very important. You've already, we've already seen with Arsenal Football Club what two seasons back to back without Champions League money can, how that can affect your finances, and. What you are is a uh, uh, an alluring target for for transfers um, for players you're tra- linked to for transfers. United have survived one, maybe two seasons, but never have never done back to back seasons. So I, I, I'd like it if we could finish fourth. Uh, and it, it seems so. I, one thing, United are improving at a rate no one quite possibly could have predicted. I also don't think anyone quite possibly predicted how quickly Chelsea would implode, which has made the the battle for fourth particularly interesting. Yeah, what do you think of that, by the way? I mean, I I, I know it's a tangent here, but I, I've been sort of thinking about it myself this week in terms of is it is it an example really of these players who I know I know it doesn't really speak for all of them because not all of them have been there for, for, for this period of time that overlaps with the previous examples, I guess. But is do you think it's them downing tools, or or do you think it's sorry, uh, not even bothering to um, <laughs> to hide his contempt for some of his squads, I, th- I think, I think it's more of the latter. I don't think it's quite downing tools. I think it is. It is quite simply, you cannot employ a systems coach or a systems manager, someone who wants to play a very specific style of football. You cannot employ him two weeks into preseason no. <laughs> with after and only give him two signings that he needs: one in the summer and then one in the 
in the January window. I think this is this is going to take time. And the interesting thing for Chelsea is whether or not they want to forge a new identity with Sari or whether or not they, they want to play their short-term counter-attacking football, which, for the most part, has seen their most their greatest successes. I think it's very interesting with Chelsea in that they're, they're almost the inverse of, of Manchester United. Manchester United's successes have come from long-term attacking football um, and, and uh, whereas Chelsea are very much pragmatists. Chelsea won the Champions League and the League and FA Cups playing largely pragmatic football. So whereas Manchester United fans, when things are going bad, will chant attack, 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 Chelsea fans, when they are losing, will chant expletive attacking football style. Um, but that is a tangent for another day. Let's get into the nitty gritty yeah. of, of what's going to happen on Sunday. No, I think, I, I, I think <laughs> absolutely they're sort of biting my tongue until that, that, that's clearly not all they chant. Um, absolutely. But um, yeah, moving to the, to, to the weekend's game then, I guess, because you could, we could definitely go down that rabbit hole. Um, how, how do you expect Sashka to approach this then? Because I guess sort of a simple analysis of it would be um, he's a yeah, proper United guy. Uh, he's not going to try and sit back and defend, especially at Old Trafford. It's going to be let's take the game to Liverpool. Let's uh, you know, it's, it's Manchester United. Let's show them that we can beat them, etc. Let's try and overwhelm them. Um, but then I also think, I mean, would that not play into Liverpool's hands? As I mean, this is a team that is, you know, it, it, there's many ways that we can beat you, but Gagan pressing is is our is our bread and butter. It, it, it is there for us to counter press if you give us the space. Do you think? Uh, do you think he'll be more measured in his approach? Yes, uh, it, it, it's particularly interesting because we Manchester United showed a good plan B with their Jesse Lingard as the false nine, Rashford on the right, Martial on the left, Paul Pogba as the the release valve, um, and that that was that was the plan against Tottenham Hotspur, and it worked because David de Gea had a fantastic game. And it was the plan against Arsenal, and it worked because Arsenal aren't as good as Tottenham Hotspur. Um, and it was working to a point against Paris Saint-Germain, but then Antin Martial and uh, Jess Lingard got injured. And then upon Juan Mata and Alexis Sanchez coming on the pitch, United floundered. Um, United fixed that lot, kind of, against Chelsea while playing a similar style of Juan Mata and Romelu Lukaku instead. But Solskjaer is not he he smiles but he's not naive and I definitely think he will make some sort of concessions to his side when he plays Liverpool um I'll be it'll be interesting to see which concessions he makes because if I will expect a lineup similar to the one he did used against Chelsea um where Lukaku will probably be used up front as the tip of the spear um and uh Juan Mata will work almost as a number 10 possibly behind Lukaku and uh Marcus Rashford but I wouldn't be surprised if if this is possibly the grand awakening of uh, Alexis Sanchez as a as a legitimate counter attacking threat. Some something will 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 give. I, the the back I think the the back four has been settled. It will be De Gea, Victor Lindelof, Luke Shaw, Ashley Young, and then possibly Chris Smalling as the back four. Um, the midfield three is the midfield three. Um, Nemanja Matic and the Herrera and Paul Pogba will play whenever available. Now, it's very interesting how Nemanja Matic has been undroppable under Mourinho and under Solskjaer, despite all evidence to Matic not having a particularly good football season. Um, but it is the front three that will offer the greatest variance. And I think 
the front three will be some combination of Lukaku, Rashford, and Juan Mata, mm. which is good because Juan Mata likes scoring against Liverpool. He does, yeah. We're not we're not at Anfield though. I think I mean I think that seems to be where he seems to have most of his joy. But um, no, it's interesting what you say about Sanchez. I'm trying to remember back over whether Mourinho once used Sanchez to man mark. Emre Jan. I, th- I think I think that was something I saw once, um, which probably again goes to illustrate sort of how uh, Sanchez's um, spell has gone since he joined um, joined you guys. Uh, just on that back four that you mentioned, there, it, it's been settled for a while now. We've seen Lindelof improve, we've seen De Gea uh, improve as well. Shaw coming back in, um, Ashley Young doing remarkable um, things, becoming this real spiteful <laughs> sort of captain figure that as you, you just would never have imagined it a few seasons ago. But, um, even reading that back four though, uh, I guess only, only six months ago, five months ago, you'd look at that back four, look at our front three and, and, and still be, you know, approaching the game with, with fear. I mean, how have they improved to such a degree where you, you're not as concerned, would you say? Um, so one of the, Tactical changes is well going forward. Sure, so the fullbacks Luke Shaw and Ashley Young are, are encouraged to go past the halfway line, which wasn't possible on the Mourinho. Um, and importantly, when that happens, Nemanja Matic was tasked to drop deeper, so that the, the centre backs would split. Matic would drop not quite in between them, but slightly in front. And then Ander Herrera was given license to sweep and roam and, and and try and stop the ball going through. It's not a perfect system. United are still averaging 1.1 goals conceded per game, but it is better than what's going on, what happened on the Mourinho. And of course, you always have David De Gea doing David De Gea things. Uh, a remarkable goalkeeper who's completely mastered what the long barrier technique for those who played cricket, <laughs> um, which, uh, which means he's not vulnerable to the same things that other goalkeepers like Kepa from Chelsea are vulnerable to. So he doesn't have to worry about getting his hand down low for a shot applied in the corner because he very often can stick a leg out, which is, you know, those small differences can be a difference between losing 1-0 or, or winning a game 1-0, as, as the Spurs game was evidence for. Um, the back four is not great. I Manchester United still very much need some centre-back to come in. But uh, as Liverpool have demonstrated last season, Having a so-so back four can be alleviated if you have a very good attack. And I think United have truly realized that. And in Paul Pogba, in Marcus Rashford, in Romelu Lukaku to a lesser extent, and in Anthony Martial when he's fit, United have a Champions League quality attack. Hmm. Absolutely. It's been been very interesting to see what they've been like as as a unit when they're actually happy and enjoying their football as well. Um Fan, it's just just stunning that Mourinho didn't even try to attempt to harness any of that sort of good energy, good good positivity that that would have been there amongst Martial and uh, and Pogba after the World Cup. I mean, we, we were definitely going to get into more of sort of the the nitty gritty of sort of the match preview, the key battles and stuff after I had a chat with Tadua as well. But just one question before we do go on to uh, the Liverpool segment for a second. But uh, so moving past the tribal hatred for a few minutes, I mean, it's it's tough. It is going to be tough this weekend. Um, but, uh, what's your opinion then of, of, of Liverpool's season so far? Um, and who would you say, you know, even begrudgingly has been, you know, the, what, what's been the most impressive aspect or who's been the most impressive player to, to you? Um, and then I, off the top of it, I guess, uh, is, is there even a question to be answered when I, 
if I'm asking you who you'd prefer to win the league, guys or City, because it, it doesn't seem like there is. <laughs> so I, I, I was I was among many a football writer uh, and journalist thinking that Liverpool would be Manchester City's best challenger. Um, the, so the, the I think the general consensus was that City were going to win the league and Liverpool would finish second, but the, it would it would be a large gap. So it'd be I, I think I said something along the lines of City would win the league, but not by a hundred points. Um, and, and then Liverpool would finish with 80. What's happened is that both Manchester City and Liverpool are historically good, uh, and that is a fact. Both both teams right now will finish the season, and, and the, the shots, uh, the goals scored, the goals conceded, the wins accrued, um, will put them in the pantheon of the 20 best sides in Premier League history. There, there is a very reasonable argument that this Liverpool side, regardless of whether they finish first or second, is better than at least half the Premier League champions in history. And that's remarkable. This Liverpool side is a joy to watch in a way I truly didn't expect. I did not expect uh, James Milner to, to, to remain eternal in centre midfield. I absolutely did not expect uh, Jordan Henderson to keep plugging away in the way he does. I did not expect Giorgio Wijnaldum to be this perpetual motion machine that my Liverpool fr- friends have been uh, telling me about. The front th- three has taken a while to click. It's been quite interesting to see that they're, they're doing something that happened in uh, late Ferguson seasons where it, at no one point are all of the good or all of their characters in form. So Mane will have a good couple of games and then it'll be Salah's turn to have a good couple of games and it'll be Firmino's turn to have a good couple of games. It's not quite click there which I think is frightening. It feels as if there's another gear to, to this side. Um, but the one, the bit, the bit that truly impresses me is Virgil van Dijk. Virgil van Dijk is the best centre-back in the world, in my opinion. He's the, he was the best football player in the Premier League in, tw- in 2018. He's the, blessed, he's the best football player in the Premier League in 2018-19. He has completely changed my notion of what you can expect from a modern centre back, and uh, I think you've had Greg Johnson from Squawker and uh, Football London on this podcast before. Yeah. And Greg Johnson said that Virgil Van Dijk would be fantastic in Liverpool system because the way Klopp sides play, the most important thing for a centre back is someone who is good on their one on ones, and uh, Virgil Van Dijk is exceptional at one on ones. It is February. At the time of recording this, and Virgil Van Dijk has not been successfully dribbled past this season in the Premier League, which is an astonishing figure. No one has managed to dribble past that man. He he, he makes a mockery of the notion that centre backs are getting worse in modern football. Um, and if you could, if you if you could give me a machine to take any one player from Liverpool and put him in Manchester United, it would be Virgil Van Dijk. Yeah. No, yeah, he's um, he, he, he's certainly got all the plaudits, isn't he? I mean, I mean there, there are a couple of occasions that you, you mentioned there on, on the dribble pass where I think about, I think it was Obama Yang was one of them, and the other one was Adana Traore, um, where you thought surely he, it's going to happen if if you're going to be dribble pass, it's, it's going to be one of those two, um, and he's he's quick, <laughs> he's quick as well. Yeah. There, there, there was a game a couple of weeks ago where he was there for the tap in. Uh, Firmino ignored him, but he literally did um, a twenty to fifty yard sprint uh, and was right there in the opposition box. So no, he's a, he's a he's a freak athlete as well. He's he's 
looked fantastic. He, he's a. Uh, I I recently wrote an article for the Athletic to sort of argue why Victor Lindelof has suddenly come good. Um, and I use this this uh, term I use the called the font phenomenon, which is basically no one knows how good a centre back is until after they've proven they're good. Uh, and you look back at how Virgil Van Dijk was playing for Celtic and. Arsenal and other teams in the Premier League thought he was okay, but let's let him go somewhere else before he can prove himself in English League, which is why he ended up at Southampton. When you consider that there, there was a question mark over how good he is, it, it, it really speaks to how defending in, in the modern age is really, really interesting. And also something that I'm really beginning to appreciate in Liverpool and, and across a lot of the top teams in the Premier League is how hard being a centre midfielder is. What Klopp has done in in his slow integration of Naby Keita and uh, to a greater degree Fabinho has been really really impressive. Fabinho, at the start of the season, everyone expected him to to uh, everyone expected Naby Keita and Fabinho to immediately replace one Adam and Henderson, uh, and and that didn't happen. And we all wondered then Adam why. And Klopp went, no, it, it takes a while to acclimatize these players to this system, give it time, and these players will kick on. And I, Especially with Fabinho, what a player! He 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 is the play. He's so good that I now understand why everyone thought Bakayoko was good because it was clear that Fabinho was telling Bakayoko where to stand. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I think it was Julian Lawrence as well before that before the start of the season who just came out and said, uh, "What was it that he, he thought he thought Fabinho would, would be the best signing of the season?" Which is, I mean, in the early parts of the season where he's barely getting off the bench, yeah. You know, People laughing at that, but no, it's um, yeah, it, it definitely does show, it does go to show sort of the um the benefits of of Klopp's approach from time to time. I mean, this this is why we get uh, sort of um people like Carl and, and Moussa on as well, as well as being United fans and and just generally well-read football journalists as well. They actually they actually praise Liverpool as well, which is which which is always good to have on these <laughs> um on these preview shows as well. But yeah, yeah, thanks so much for all that. All that great insight there on on, on United casting that, that that's been really really fascinating. But um, we'll bring you back in uh, towards the end just to talk about sort of the the finer details of of, of this weekend's match. But I'm just going to speak about um, uh, Liverpool with Tadiwa. Tadiwa, plenty of, of of listening duty there. Really, uh, some some fascinating detail from Carl around United and. Uh, you know, the the journey they've been on this season, the journey they've been through, I guess you can say through hell at times with with, with Jose Mourinho. Um, it's uh, a shame it had to come to an end, of course. But uh, to focus on Liverpool, then uh, a, a draw at home to Bayern, a nil nil um, at home to a Bayern Munich side who everybody seemed to take joy or, or pleasure in, in trying to write off before they arrived, and then you this this wily bunch of uh, very very experienced winners and veterans arrive at Anfield and. I thought, especially the second half performance, um, you know, got got a good point. You know, very intelligent uh, performance from them. What did you make of the result, the performance as a whole? Is is it is it a good result going to that second leg? Um, ideally, I think you would have wanted to at least have gone, you know, with with a goal or two, um, especially having kept a clean sheet without Van Dyke and Carlos Benjinder. How important he's been this season for us. But I do think, looking back, I, I didn't mind a no-no. As long as we didn't concede, I'm, I'm confident that our strike force can go in there and, you know, at least have that advantage of the away goal. And I'm sure if we put the pressure on them in terms of going forward and looking for goals, I, I think we can 
bang in a few and they're also going to have the emphasis of trying to score a goal they're going to be playing at home their fans are very expectant fans so that hopefully leaves a lot of space for us at the back but in terms of the performance uh, last night I think you highlighted the most important thing in that they were very experienced side and they're a side that's full of winners and it's something that I mentioned I think at the beginning of the season um, when we were looking at the, the season going in for Liverpool I, I worried about how many players we had in our squad that have actually won things or won really important trophies and big trophies um, and whether or not we had enough players with that experience to help those those new bedded in players you know to to achieve that and, and you can see with the Bayern Munich the first half there was space for us um, I think there was a lot more space for us than the second half I think it's one of those where they, they went into halftime and they realized okay this is not the place for us to try and get a goal let's just shut it down and nullify them and then we can take them back to the Allianz and they obviously feel confident playing there and you can see you know managers can only do so much and and, and we've spoken about you know the the different managers that that have been at United this season and the different approaches but at the you know um, at some point in time you know the the players have to do it on the pitch and it seemed like to me the Bayern players may have had a word with the manager not necessarily influence them but just to to you know, help them out. These players have been there, as, as we've mentioned, and just to say, you know what, today's not the day for us to be going as attacking. Let's just take the nil-nil. And and I, I don't know if our squad has reached that maturity level yet. I think we're still growing as a squad, and and it will be interesting to see how we take them on in that second leg. Yeah, I think there's been numerous points this season as well where you can look at Liverpool's performances and you can talk about. Um, the maturity of the performance, just because you, if you contrast it with how we've played for the past, what, three or four seasons, it's been frenetic, it's been high pace, it's, it's very rarely been, you know, you feel like you have general control of a game as opposed to this season where at times it has felt like that, but it's something we're, we're learning for sure. I thought we were fairly measured, to be honest, especially considering, as you mentioned, uh, we were without Van Dyke, who's had such a, a huge influence on everybody around him. Um, it was up to Joel Matip and Fabinho, who Carl's the, you know, praising tons there as well, who I think is really, really impressive how he's, you know, he slotted in at centre back last night and you, you heard Anfield and, and the ovation he got really from Anfield. Um, quite a turnaround for that guy, especially considering he, he was struggling to get off the bench. Um, one thing that did catch my eye, it's caught my eye a little bit and Carl touched, touched upon it as well. Um, that our front three, then not not all three of them ever seem to have a, a a great game in the same game, or it hasn't happened very often this season. But one thing that I caught at my eye was just how many times in transition we we misplaced that final pass, um, whether it be Robertson, who I thought had a, um, a subpar game really, uh, as opposed to how he usually is. Um, but generally, the, the front three weren't connecting too well. Um, I mean, what what have you made of them uh, this season, and and what, what did you make of them last night as well? Yeah, it's definitely something that's crept into our game this season. And um, obviously, considering how well they did last season, everyone's expecting them just to pick up from from that and, and carry on the the wonderful form that they had. But I, I think we have to take into consideration the different roles that they've been asked to play this season. Um, when, when when asked to describe the, the front three this season and why it hasn't clicked, I always go back to the old age um, conversation I had with Gerard Houllier, who is a big, big advocate of instinct and how at the top level you don't really get that much time to think. And if, if 
you know the movement of the people in and around you, it makes life so much easier. And that's that key difference that, that, that makes the good players really, really great. And if you look at Liverpool's front three last season, they knew what each other's movements were going to be. They knew the positions they were expected to be in in that frantic football that you spoke about. But now it's a more measured type of football. They're being asked to take up different positions within the pitch, even, you know, especially the first half of the season, maybe not so much the last couple of games. But first half of the season, certainly, Mohamed Salah was being asked to play a lot more inside, maybe as the, as the number nine at most times. And Firmino was the one dropping into maybe a more familiar 10 role, if, if you can call it that. So with that comes different types of movements and being asked and required to do different things. And if they were so used to, for example, Firmino picking up the ball and knowing Salah is going to be on the right-hand side, he could almost play that ball blind because he was so used to that movement. Now he's having to pick his head up and you know, figure out and work out where Salah is going to be doing. And in that split second, that's the difference between creating the you know the the frantic football we we're playing last season to maybe what's been a bit more controlled and tempered down this season. So I, I think it's something they're just going to have to grow into and learn. And over the course of the season, you'd rather us be in the position we're in now. And as Carl said, where it, it's quite a scary thought that our front three hasn't even clicked yet and we're in such a favorable position. Uh, I think it's something that's going to come with time. Yeah, I think something that's come with time as well has obviously been the, the gradual uh, improvement in, in performances uh, of, of Naby Keita. Um, it seems to be getting uh, really finding his feet more in recent weeks. Lo and behold, from playing a consistent run of games, as uh, has actually has done wonders again. Of course, but I think as Carl was mentioning there, another player who's perhaps taken time to learn, you know, some of the intricacies of Klopp's system. It is difficult to play in centre midfield, and I enjoyed uh, a comment about Henderson's performance last night. He's getting lots of praise. Of course, was around that he showed the value of a meat and two veg player still exists even in the Champions League, even amongst all those names that were there last night. Um, what have you made of Naby uh, in recent weeks? Uh, and do you think uh, we have a dilemma now a little bit because Henderson played so well last night? Fabinho, you imagine, comes back into midfield um, to, to play alongside Ginny, who's been you know, hugely pivotal for us in recent weeks. Um, so touch upon Naby's performances, but then also what you expect the midfield to to be for this weekend. Yeah, it, it was a, a a better performance from Naby, and I think he's he's grown into the role a bit more. As you mentioned, I think it, it's something that was going to be expected in a Klopp team. I, I really didn't expect him or Fabinho to feature that much the first half of the season, considering the history that Klopp has. Um, when he implements a system, you know, whether it was the frantic football last season or the controlled football of this season, he wants his players to execute a role to the T. And, and that's why I think maybe he favors, you know, the, the James Milners and, and, and he's willing to work with players like that where to some people they might not be, you know, the star names, but James Milner is going to go and execute what you ask him to execute. And then for Klopp, that means he doesn't have to worry about that specific position for 90 minutes or 80 minutes or however long the player is going to be playing because he knows it's going to be executed what he asks for. Now, with a player like Naby Keita, those creative players, especially being asked to play in central midfield, that can leave you very exposed if no, if everyone around him isn't either used to him or he's not used to the system. Um, we saw at the beginning of the season there were concerns with him defensively in terms of 
how he was leaving. Uh, Robbo exposed quite a bit um, when he would bomb forward or if, if he mis- misplaces a pass. You know, it's it's something that not only that he has to learn to, to play into the system, but also the players in and around him have to learn his style of game. You know, if Naby's on the ball, it's not the wisest thing to have every single player running in front of him because he does take those risky passes. And if he if one of those passes inevitably doesn't work, we're not going to be exposed at the back. So I think that also needs to, to be considered, not necessarily just him learning the system, but everyone else learning when to move in and around him when he has the ball. Because he, he is, as we said, a, a creative player and, and a player that can take risks more than some of the midfielders we've been used to. Um, in terms of growing into his position, I think it's helped that he's been allowed to to ride it out for the for this January February period where maybe you could argue he didn't start off playing well the first couple of games um, of this new year, but whether or not he was playing well, he was always in and around the team. It's most of the time starting the games, maybe not finishing them all, but at least getting a good 60 to 70 minutes just to embed himself into, into the games, get that run of form into him. It's a lot easier to, to bed yourself in when you're playing than necessarily coming off the bench all the time in, in bits and pieces. So I think that's helped him out quite a bit. Um, and then, you know, we, we move on to the likes of Jordan Henderson. I, I think... Obviously, when he's such a controversial player in inverted commas for, for Liverpool fans and I suppose Premier League fans all over, because it seems like the argument for him is either he's the greatest player in the world or he's not fit to, to wear the shirt or something ridiculous like that, where I think he can play a really good vital role in a squad which, you know, which, which, which might not necessarily need him as the first choice uh, central midfielder, but he's a midfielder that can come in and do a job, and and you won't have any worries or hesitations about bringing him in. And also, he's the type of player I think who would be motivated motivated by not being a starting player. He's someone that would keep uh, Fabinho, for example, on his toes. Where Fabinho knows if he, you know, isn't turning it up week in week out, there's a hungry Jordan Henderson that can easily come in and take his position. And you need that type of squad when when you're challenging the type of squads that City have built over the last couple of years. It's no longer just an 11-man game. Um, you need a whole lot more pe- players to to be in and, in and around the squad and involved. So it, it, it is a tricky um, situation for Klopp, but I'm sure it's a, a situation that most managers would prefer to be in opposed to not having enough players to pick. Um, where he goes this weekend, I think, will be really, really interesting um, I, th- I think for me personally, um, with my preferences, Fabinho, if, if he's not required in, at the centre-back position, and hopefully he, there won't be a, a dire need for him to play there, but he certainly has to be the first name in that midfield in terms of trying to get him in to control that midfield, especially against you know Paul Pogba, who seems to be firing on all cylinders. You need the physicality and the intelligence of a Fabinho just to watch him and control you know how... how that game is played in the middle of the park. And then, obviously, I think Genie is the second person who kind of gets an automatic um, place in that midfield just because of the performances he's put in this season. I think he, he warrants a place there. Um, and then formation probably dictates how the rest of the team, in terms of midfield, lines up. I, I, I assume Klopp's going to stick to the 4-3-3. I think for the rest of the season, the majority of the games will be that 4-3-3 system. 
Um, we, we did see the 4-3-1 during the very busy December period, but I think that was for a specific purpose and served a purpose where teams were chopping and changing and you needed those attacking players on the pitch um, to get as many goals as you can. And we could see it helped us during that period. But now you're coming to the business end. I do think you need a bit more solidity in midfield. And then you're just hoping for that front three to to click um, back into form. Uh, I think so. I would be looking more either at a, a run between Henderson and Naby Keita of the third person to come in to midfield. I, I could see Klopp going with the Henderson just to put, just to be safe, just to make sure there is enough cover for you know pretty much for Pogba um, and also for Herrera who seems to be you know thriving in in in, the, in that midfield at the moment. Navigator could be someone I think that could come on if we're struggling and we need a bit of spark in midfield. Whereas risking him in this game, it, it might be too much for him. Uh, not to say he's not capable of doing it, but just to say. You know, you 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 might want a, a player that's that's played in such a big game, such a pivotal game. In Henderson, he is the club captain. He is a leader in the dressing room. Maybe you know you're expecting him to put in another big performance like he did this this past uh, Tuesday. You know, let him continue the momentum. So I, I would assume that club's going to go with Henderson. Genie and Fabinho um, as a three. Yeah, I mean, I, I even look back to that game. At Anfield, Henderson didn't start that game, and, and I, I think I thought it was really pivotal that he didn't, and, and just indicated, as you said, that there's going to be midfielders, um, and I, I think we all know in terms of you mentioned that some people expected those players to come in, and Carl mentioned it as well, you know, uh, for Naby to come in, for Fabinho to come in, and that to be the end of Henderson, that to be the end of Milner, and you can look at the team, I guess, and think, well, long term, yes, that's but that that is probably the the plan, isn't it? That the, these players come in, they ingratiate themselves, and then they they get settled. And long term, they are probably the future for for that midfield. But yeah, you, when you see Henderson putting in performances like he did uh, last night, I, I did think he was excellent in the first half for sure. Um, then you've got you know, somebody who's clearly desperate to play at the weekend. He he, he remembers being left out against uh, United early in the season as club captain, which of course is is, is certainly difficult. So. We'll be interested to see which way Klopp goes. Another player, of course, who had a huge impact in that in that earlier game uh, in the season um, was Shakiri. You know, coming off the bench, uh, a super sub in a way that even Solskjaer would have been proud of. In the way he came on, had the cameo, uh, wonderfully sort of deflected shots as well, which is you know, even more sort of satisfying. <laughs> even though it did appear that he'd come on, he'd been studying the game, uh, seeing the spaces. Um, do you see him having potentially a similar cameo? Uh, this weekend, Tadiwa? Yeah, certainly in terms of having to come off the bench to, to have any influence in the game, I think I think it would be that same situation. I don't think it's it's, it's a priority to, to have him start the game just because of the fact that defensively he could leave you short and you can't afford to, to not have players that are willing to run back against a, a very athletic Man United squad at the moment. They're going to be, I'm assuming, looking to hit us on the counter-attack. And if you have, you know, their fullbacks bombing forward and Shakiri is not coming back, that could become a, an issue for us. I think have confidence in our defensive shape and also in the confidence of, of us being able to, to score goals. There's no need to take the, the big risks to start off the game. You can always take a, a bigger risk when there's sort of 70, 80 minutes on the clock. 
No, I think you're certainly right there, especially in terms of the tracking back and the discipline. I do think Klopp's going to opt for players that he knows will do that work for him um, for this weekend. I mean, Carl, bringing you back in there to, to, to talk about some of these key battles that are going to be uh, going on this weekend. Just before we get into those, and the question I wanted to ask you about Pogba, um, Lingard and Martial, they're rumoured to be out. Would you expect both of them to be back this weekend? Following the PSG game, and I think, uh, three weeks is, is a more realistic timetable than what's currently they are said to be weighed, laid by. United, in theory, and on paper, have the attacking personnel to cope. Alexis Sanchez still is supposed to be one of the better players in the Premier League. And Romelu Lukaku, despite his mm, so-so performances this season, is still Belgium's top goal scorer and a serial golden boot bothering striker but there are worries as to how United will cope without their preferred front three no yeah and I was just wondering whether it was going to be one of those sort of Solskjaer employing another Sir Alex trick where sort of these two players are oh there's no possible way they'll make the game and then of course the match day arrives and they're both they're both in the starting 11 but it sounds like from what you're saying then you know Lingard as well I mean he's, he's a player who has been described as sort of crucial to the way in which um uh guys employed some flexibility from time to time. You are saying that you don't expect either of them to be there. No, I, I, I maybe maybe one of them as a substitute, but I wouldn't expect either one to start. Right. Okay. I mean, yeah, that's that's definitely a big relief. And so you heard what Taddywa had said about um, sort of. I mean, it's been very hard to sort of ignore just how how much Pogba's performances have grown since Mourinho's left, and he's. Uh, enjoying his football more, definitely stretching his legs more. It seems far more of a presence in the team, tying various things together uh, on 11, um, 11 goals now um, this season as well. I just wanted to ask you, um, you heard what Tadio said there in terms of Fabinho being the player to sort of uh, try and cancel out the effect that Pogba can have. I watched that PSG game as well and I was just impressed by how Marquinhos and um, Verratti, who is, you know, at least physically, you, you wouldn't think that he would, he would necessarily be able to, to get his hands on Pogba or really stifle him. But I was impressed by the way in which those two managed to negate Pogba's impact. I mean, what do you view as the, the, the key battles this weekend? It, it is neutralizing Pogba, um, obviously, uh, a obvious, uh, obvious one for Liverpool to try and win? Yeah, I think we'll be really interested to see is if, uh, Solskjaer does what Mourinho did last season where he attacked the space between Trent Alexander-Arnold and the centre-back. So in, in a 2-1 victory at Old Trafford last season, that, that very much was Mourinho's plan. If I can get on the space on uh, Mr. Alexander's left shoulder, there, there was uh, something for Marcus Rashford to make the most out of. That was Dejan helping out as well, wasn't it? I remember at the time losing out to Lukaku in the air a couple of times, I think. Thank you very much. I, I thought it was Dejan, but I, I just wanted to double-check. Um... <laughs> I, I think that is a space to be exploited. Um, obviously, less so than now that it's not Anthony Martial playing on the left. But I, I, I imagine Solskjaer is currently looking at tape and thinking that might be available. Obviously, Trent Alexander-Arnold is a better player than he was last season. So I, that may that gap will possibly have closed up. Um, the the Pogba the Pog one will be very, very interesting. So Paul Pogba has this tight, well, I want to say flaw. A tiny flaw, but um, the PSG game made it quite obvious. He very much enjoys the physical one-on-one with another midfielder. 
So if he, it's his back up against another centre midfielder, he truly enjoys that little physical battle. And under Mourinho, um, it was very much to his detriment. So he would not release the ball as quickly as possible because he very much was was hello, I'm six foot three, and you want to out you want to out muscle me. I'm going to show you I'm stronger. This is also why he got sent off against PSG. He very much likes doing that thing where he can show how strong he is and how good he is at shielding the ball, and that brought about his red card. Where he tried, where he tackled Dani Alves, and it should have brought about uh, a strong censure after he tried doing that against Deli Ali in the Tom Hotspur game. Fabinho is a big boy. I think I'm okay with saying that he he's, he is <laughs> yeah. he he has very much has a physical presence. So I'll be very intrigued to see how that battle shapes up. Um, I don't think it's one that Pogba will win because. Not to say I think Fabinho's a better player than Paul Pogba, but I think Fabinho's got better backup than Paul Pogba right now. Um, and Herrera is is getting good, um, but he's still not the uh, elite defender that the central midfield threes of the Premier League, of the top Premier League sides, truly need. And the Manu Matic, I think, is a spent force who should be upgraded upon at the nearest opportunity. And it doesn't matter. I mean, he's a player who you look at, and, and people always highlight his mobility as well. I mean, how, how press resistant do you think you guys currently are? Because I, I know Pogba can play his way out of trouble. He, he has that ability on the ball to do that, certainly. Um, but the other two, um, I, I look at and wonder uh, just how they'll cope in that sort of scenario. And Herrera can be quite press resistant. He is his and Herrera's problem is the fact that he can he can uh, man mark a little bit too diligently. So uh, in in some of the bigger Manchester United games, he will um, man mark a player, be it Hazard or whatnot, and essentially follow that man to such a degree he will be dragged out of position and it will leave too much space for for the other midfield too. Um, so if it was a, a midfield three of of um, Naby Keita. Mr. Henderson and Juan Alden. I imagine Juan Alden would be clever enough to go, all right, Ander, you're, you can run, I can run, chase me. To which your other midfield players would uh, relish upon Nemanja Matic, who is not a speedy man. He has not got the greatest turning circle. No. He, is, he is 31, but with a lot of miles upon the clock. Uh, and he is very much a gettable target at Manchester United. I also think Ashley Young, while uh, a willing servant, can be attacked very well on the right-hand side as well. Um, United's defence is not spectacular and relies very much on David Gea. Uh, United's midfield can be outplayed by the bigger sides. It is United's attack that can tear into shreds. And for that, to stop that attack, what you have to do is make sure Paul Pogba cannot connect to the two or three members of personnel that he uh, spends a lot of time with in the dressing room. And I think Liverpool will be able to do that at least twice. I think I, I don't think there will be a clean sheet in this game. I think United will get at least one goal. Whether that goal will be enough will be a, a very interesting question. Yeah, very happy to to have uh, Van Dijk back, especially to give him a little bit of a rest as well for once because he, he, he pretty much plays every other game uh, tally well I mean you heard what Carl mentioned there about sort of the various interesting sort of matchups that there's going to be this weekend what's the key one for you when you look at it and you think um, either we'll get some joy here or you think this is going to be crucial for us to if, for a couple of our players to have to play well in order for us to, to get a result this uh, this weekend 
For me, I think the the biggest thing for me is still that midfield. I really, really think it's a game that both um, Pogba and Fabinho are, are really, really looking forward to and, and keen to make a statement in. And it'll be interesting to see which one of them comes out on top. And then I think also the two areas that low-key might be really big is going to be the goalkeepers. Um, we've seen, as Carl mentioned, with regards to the Tottenham game, David De Gea, you know, pulling off some some amazing saves and almost single-handedly. I, I know it's unfair to say that in a 11 style game, but but he had a fair share of responsibility in that game with uh, helping United United come through it. Um, and then equally, in yesterday we saw Allison pull off a really really good save, which he had no no right pulling off. So. These are two keepers that are that are vying to be the best goalkeeper in the league, and um, if if one of them can put in a performance like they have in recent weeks, that could be the difference between you know teams scoring goals or not. Yeah, I'm enjoying the the lack of a uh, sort of um, uh, long form pieces about Allison as well in the, in the lead up to this game as well, because it, it was it was just only typical, wasn't it, that we we, we talk about Allison how he's taking De Gea's. Uh, thrown as the best keeper in the league, the best keeper in the world potentially, and of course he made that howler <laughs> to, to to allow Lingard to score at Anfield. The focus seems to be a little bit more off him this weekend. Yeah, it, it's good, and and as long as we can keep Lovren away from any sort of press conferences. <laughs> I think. The guy's injured. The guy, the guy's literally not even been uh, a focus for us for, for 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 a month and a half now, and still he comes up prior to <laughs> prior to United <laughs> Liverpool. He just goes to show you the. The impact he's had um, since he since he joined uh, joined the club, of course. All right, then, guys, I'm going to try and put you both on the spot then and um, ask you to give me a prediction for the weekend. Taddy, well, I'm going to start with you. You can, you can tell me what type of game you're expecting, and then I guess uh, a score prediction as well. I'm expecting a game that is going to require a lot of maturity. I know we mentioned maturity earlier in the in the in the podcast, but I, I have a feeling that Solskjaer is going to sit sit deep and, and try and hit Liverpool on the counter with, um, you know, Lukaku, whose pace is very underrated. I think he, he could do well running into the channels in behind, as, as has been mentioned, in behind Alexander-Arnold and maybe on Robbo's side. And then obviously Rashford is going to be the key for, for their counter-attack. So I can see United getting a goal on, on the counter-attack. I, I see it being a Rashford goal, but I'm... Um, I'm hoping that our, our, our strike force is able to 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 bang in two goals. Um, I'm going for a two-one to Liverpool. Go yeah, for two-one. And Carl, uh, if I was to put you on for a prediction, uh, I'll, I'll, let's leave the score prediction to last, of course, and and, and and just talk about what you think the what what sort of game we're going to be seeing because we, we've seen we've seen Red Mondays that were crap. We've seen <laughs> we've seen other ones that are really just disappointed. Um, I, I may very well be watching this game with you as well. It's it's which will be interesting. But, um, I mean, what are you sort of expecting for, for this game? I think set pieces are going to be really key for this. Manchester United aren't good at defending set pieces this season. They have not been good at defending set pieces um, since Mourinho's come on in charge, which I find particularly interesting considering quite a lot of their personnel are over six foot, so they should be at least competent. And I think Liverpool can be quite good at attacking set pieces. I think that that is very much uh, something that can be attacked. I think Liverpool will be getting the lion's share of possession, expect 60, 65% plus with what Liverpool want to do. And and United, very much the plan will be 
win the ball, get it to Pogba quickly, and then hopefully Pogba can free up some runners. And if that's not possible, maybe Juan Mata can unlock the defence using something. Um, United are the underdogs for this game. I, I, I don't want to... United are the underdogs very much because they are playing for top four, whereas Liverpool are playing for the Premier League title. Uh, uh, and I think... I think Jurgen Klopp is going to impress that a lot more upon his his playings, you know, upon his players. And I think playing for the Premier League title just doesn't will give you that extra five percent more than than playing for top four, especially for a manager who may or may not be there next season. Um, the, the injury to Martial also is is a big swing thing. Uh, like I said earlier, Martial running towards Trent Alexander Arnold, then possibly being the first player to run past uh, Virgil Van Dijk, I can I can believe Marcus Rashford less so. Um, I think this will be something where Liverpool will be dominant for at least sixty minutes, and then Paul Pogba will do one or two Paul Pogba things, and uh, then it will get quite tasty. But I agree. I think it's going to be a 2-1 Liverpool game. And I see the I see the one goal being a, a consolation goal for Manchester United. I can't I can't see anything other than a Liverpool victory here. Mm. It's going to be it's, it's going to be interesting. I think there's, there's a huge amount of anxiety I think across the the Liverpool fan base about this game. It's 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 unsurprising given what's at stake here given the fact that we we had this game in hand but it's it's against you guys. Uh, not only are you, you say you're playing for top four, but I imagine Solskjaer is going to be going to that dressing room and impressing. You're not only playing for top four guys. Imagine if we derailed Liverpool's uh, your strongest title challenge for, for for a number of years. Uh, there's plenty of motivation on both sides. So, yeah, I'm expecting a uh, very interesting game. As you say, actually, I can well imagine Pogba doing something uh, special later in the game that sort of swings it into a more open affair uh, towards the towards the final 10-15 minutes. But yeah, should be should be interesting as well. I'll 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 join you all then, and I'll I'll, I'll go for a two-one as well. Hopefully, <laughs> De Gea um, isn't capable of doing sort of this gymnastics, uh, you know, the eventual yoga DVD that's going to be coming out uh, in the sort of the final years of his career. It's, he's always been a thorn in our backside whenever we've tried to play uh, United. But yeah, it should be a far more entertaining game than we've seen uh, against Mourinho's United. That that's. That's for certain. But anyway, guys, thanks so much for helping me come on and preview this game. It's it, it's big enough um, most seasons anyway, and, and now it's got this added layer um, of, uh, sort of potential relevance uh, this season, of course. So uh, just before we go, I just wanted to ask um, either of you if you if you had anything that you'd like to you'd like to plug on your end. Um, Carl, I'll just come to come to you first. Um, I I'm I'm writing my United columns for the Athletic, uh, which is a fantastic US publication. It is paywall content. I will warn you all now but uh there's currently some very good special offers on where you can get your first month free or at a reduced price it is uh i write for manchester united um you can get uh writers like jack lyon for tom hotspur uh mike goodman um from Statsbomb is there offering supplementary stats based breakdowns for everyone else uh, dan levine is for chelsea uh liverpool has melissa reedy ready reedy i think it, i i think we're going with ready but uh yeah Ready? Yes, uh, and, and many more. So I'll I'll be there, um, and uh, I am also bringing back the Naughty Boy series for BBC Three, mm. which is a collection of essays on players from the pre um, Cristiano Ronaldo Messi era, as we try um, to explain why they were good. So the first one of the Premier League era went up this week from Tom Victor, um, just talking about Ruud Van Nistelrooy and his fantastic, almost workmanlike goal scoring. 
Yeah, definitely encourage you to check that series out. We had Tom Victor on, of course, uh, a couple of weeks ago for the West Ham game. And, uh, yeah, the, those have been re- really entertaining pieces. So definitely recommend you check all, all of that out. Taddy, what, anything on your end? Um, I'm, I've been a bit busy at the moment. So I haven't been working on much, but maybe if people want to just go back, we were doing the transfer podcast throughout the January window. And the oh, yeah. last podcast we did was just a review of how the window went and, especially looking into what Liverpool could be looking to do in the summer. Um, yeah, you can check that out on the Anfield Index. Yeah, I feel slightly sorry for you there, Taliwa, because it was, it, was, it was far from a busy window, let's be fair, <laughs> in terms of actually, uh, the, the lack of players coming in. But no, I think it's certainly... Um, uh, we're a club that do tons of planning ahead of time, it seems now. So yeah, for, for, for the summer, you imagine that's already well underway. But uh, anyway, guys, thanks... Thanks so much again for helping me preview the game. Uh, I hope everyone's enjoyed listening as well. And uh, hopefully we'll be previewing another game next week and uh, talking about a positive result uh, away at Old Trafford, which is something we don't often get to say. So thanks so much for, for listening, guys. And we'll, we'll be back again uh, next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.